Good afternoon, good evening from uh, around the world. Uh, this is uh, Dane, Dane Young with the End User Computing Podcast. This is episode number 10. We are live from uh, VMworld 2016. Um, with me live in the room, we have uh, Edward, Eduardo Molina. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, good evening. And uh, Mike Nelson. Howdy. And also on the call, we have uh, Steve Greenberg. Hey, guys. And uh, Dwayne Lesner. Hello from the north. Hello from the north. Where where exactly north would that be? Canada, eh? Canadiana. Canadiana. <laughs> the largest American state. Yes, that's right. An ex uh, our northerly extension. Just, I just want to be clear, though, about Canada. Will there be a wall between us and Canada or not? <laughs> no, we, we just want that wall in the south, the okay. northern wall. Just check. <laughs> they don't want to come to our uh, country anyways. <laughs> I was going to say, we'll probably have people come here after your election. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. looking for a place, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for a place. Yeah, far out in the forest somewhere. So, um, so, so we had a bit of a, a reprieve from uh, doing the podcast. Um, I, I had some uh, pretty dramatic personal things happen in my life. Um, you can read about those on my blog. Um, but but we are back, and uh, this is our first podcast since coming back since uh, probably March or April of this year. Um, and uh, really excited to talk today about um, VMworld 2016. Um, there's a lot of announcements, a lot of cool stuff that VMware is doing. Um, I'd like to say that we're going to focus mostly on the end-user computing stuff, but in reality, most of what VMware is doing in the other spaces are going to impact and affect our lives in end-user computing one way or the other. Um, so hey, Dan, Let me just interrupt one second and just say it is awesome to have you back. Really missed you. I'm Thanks, glad Steve. you're back, and it's great to be on the, the, the chat with all the guys. And this is a big VM world, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Thanks, Steve. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's been diff it's definitely been a transition coming back after being away for so long. But, you know, we have such an awesome community. Um, in you know the end user computing and virtualization space that it's made the transition back uh, very easy um, for me to get to dive back into technology for a while. So, where do you yes. want to go first? This is exciting. Yeah. So um, I think you know what we'll probably start with is um, you know covering some of the day one keynote uh, topics, um, and there there was a lot of stuff covered in day one. Uh, most of which wasn't uh, applicable to end-user computing. They saved all, all that for the day two keynote, um, as well as um, Sean Bass and Samit Dewan had an uh, afternoon session yesterday uh, where they talked a lot about some of the things that are coming for uh, AirWatch and Horizon Air hybrid mode, uh, which is actually coming. Um, more, more details following on that, um, as well as Horizon 7. Did they say they were going to talk about that in Barcelona? I heard that. <clears throat> yeah, pricing and availability and all that kind of stuff would be discussed Barcelona. in Barcelona. Yeah. 
Um, and the the one that they're also saying is is pricing and availability is uh, the AirWatch with um, out volumes. Yeah, yeah. The A2 or A squared thing that. Uh, the A well A carat square. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I think the official like term for it from Harry Labana is A squared. Okay. So well, yeah. Ba basically, you know, AirWatch plus app volumes. Yeah. So um, so lots of cool stuff happened. Um, uh, I, I thought the opening for the day one keynote was very unique. Um, the the beatnik poetry thing, everybody was snapping and uh, going along with uh, the drummer. The drummer. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty unique. So um, all, all the live streams from um, from from the actual keynote are available online now. So if anybody wants to go check those out, you can definitely do that. Um, I don't think they recorded Sean and uh, Smith's session. Um, and you know that session had a lot of good content. Are they recording most every uh, session well, breakout? That, or actually, what I'm what I'm seeing a lot here is um, VMware folks are uh, periscoping okay. a lot of the yeah. sessions. I mean, there's a lot. If you go out the periscope and look on the catalog, there are a lot of sessions that are being periscoped as they go. That's cool. So, that yeah. is really cool. And it's and it's by VMware employees, which kind of surprised me because I thought you know. People would just be holding up their phones or whatever, but it's kind of unique. Yep. Um, so, so the Wi-Fi works good enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the keynote was spotty. Um, we were having all kinds of dodgy issues yeah. trying to get wireless monitors to tweet. in the space going blank. Yeah. Yeah. Big, huge. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was definitely interesting, but um, Eduardo and I uh, were hanging out with Gabe and Jack uh, on the first keynote. Um, so uh, catching up with those guys and what life has been like without Brian. Single teardrop, of course. <laughs> Shout out to Brian. He's never going to hear this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I did see him on Twitter uh, yesterday, though. He, he sent out a couple tweets. I guess one of the companies, which will go nameless, he already called him out on his Twitter was using his name improperly in marketing across their banner in the freaking expo. It had no rights whatsoever to use his name or to quote him on that. Is that just like it's a like, synergy where they had a picture of him on a shirt by unnamed company? Which no, that was at Bryform, wasn't it? It was Bryform. It was Bryform. And it was the biggest company that is putting on a conference right now in Las Vegas used his picture on a shirt yeah. and he never gave permission for them to use and then they they quoted but misquoted him on all of these things. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that wasn't cool. <laughs> hey, Dane, you were uh, mentioning Brian Madden. We we did have to say like a big event in EUC, which we did miss on the hiatus, was his retirement, right? And and yeah. Brian Forum 2016 in the U.S. So I'll just yeah. say something quickly about that because um, it was awesome. Typical Brian. You know, he came to the conference with a giant, like, beard, like David Letterman, like, hey, I'm retiring, and I have a giant beard. And he was just great. You know, he's funny, he's brilliant, and uh, it, it was a big milestone. And I think a lot of the Bryform speakers and attendees were really kind of moved by it, actually. You saw a bunch of grown men almost cry, you know, single tear, like you said, because it was the end of an era, you know. And yeah. for all of us, um, this has been a big deal. We all came out of our respective little cities and countries, not really knowing each other, and Bry Forum and Citrix Synergy and VMworld and all these were kind of meeting points. But uh, it was it was a big event in EUC, and uh, it was a lot of fun too. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I'm I'm glad you took a little uh, detour there to talk about it. Um, 
So, so I intentionally made a point to come out to to Brightform. I hadn't quite come back to work yet at that point, um, but I, I saw that it was going to be the 20th and final uh, Brightform in, in Boston, um, and so it was you know it was one of those things where it was important to be there um, as a as a key point in our EUC history for what it's worth. And that was awesome. So, one last thing, and then we'll move on. Was um, we bought him a gold retirement watch. <laughs> and all the speakers. Star Wars themed, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and he he was almost tearing up, and it was funny because it looks like a cheesy gold retirement watch, but it was actually a Star Wars model, and it had C3PO on the back, and we engraved um, his motto from LinkedIn, "Idiot with a blog" on the back of it. So, great event. I will tell you that the and Steve, you probably remember this is at the the dinner where. We were talking about the books, and, and Brian was giving a, a little thank you to everyone. But uh, Ron Oglesby, I think, said it best: is that uh, you know, Brian, these a lot of the folks that were there were people that were with him back in 2008, um, and even earlier than that. Um, and you know, he put it pretty good when he said, "You know what, Brian? These are your people. This is your squad. This is your." Oh yeah, family. yeah. And Brian actually choked up at that point, so that that was that was special. Yeah, everybody needs a tribe, right? Yeah. It's a community, right? It's we, we all look after each other. We all disagree on things, but also agree on things. Yeah, exactly. And, yep. you know, for a lot of us, uh, Brian's been a pretty big role model and has shown us, you know, cleared that path where others haven't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting catching up with Gabe and, and Jack about, you know, what life is like on the other side. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> Move on up to the other side. <laughs> um, so, so like Gabe's tinkering a lot more now, getting more into techie stuff than you know he has in in recent years. Jack's an editor now. He's a big time. You know, he's a he's a man. He's, yeah, he's a man. So it's it's very cool. Um, you know, really excited for those guys and and everything that's going on. You know, both at Tech Target as well as you know BrandMadden.com and. Um, I think what uh, what will be interesting is how the industry will adapt to not having, well, hopefully in the future having an independent agnostic third-party conference that we can geek out and talk about all these things um, without having it be called Bryform. So, um, you know, there's E2EVC, which I've, you know, attended a couple times in the past, and uh, Alex does a phenomenal job with that event. Um, but you know it'll be interesting to see if uh, Tech Target ends up, you know, spawning something up. Absolutely. Well, well worth a mention. It's a big deal. And and on to VMworld. Uh, you guys are mostly there. I'm not there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned day one, and uh, if I can ask you guys a question to elaborate, there was this idea that VMware can connect to and manage your workloads in multiple clouds. Yeah. Which is a kind of a big development. Can you guys explain that? And yes. Yeah. You know, so it's this thing that they're calling Cloud Foundation, VMware Cloud Foundation, um, and and it was actually you know one of the first things they talked about in the day day one keynote, um, and you know just a dramatic shift from VMware last year to this year, from their messaging and the marketing at, at VMworld, um, from going from any device, any application, one cloud to any device, any application, any cloud, right? That's that's kind of a dramatic change, and I, I think a big part of that was that 
Um, last year, they didn't really have a story uh, or a solution on you know how they were going to sell products, services, etc. for other cloud uh, environments, whether it's Google or uh, Azure or AWS. But now they're kind of filling in that picture, I think. Um, yeah, and actually, uh, I, I, I thought it was kind of an unusual play by them because they've always been really closed. In history, if you think about it, VMware's really been closed in on their own product sets and things like that. So they're kind of opening up a little bit. But I have to say this is that, uh, you know, there is a competitor out there that, that had this same concept uh, quite a while ago. And uh, um, they, they've been open for a while, uh, you know. And VMware's just kind of, uh, I think they're actually playing a little catch up on this, you know. I think they're, they're, they're coming back and saying, yeah. People really want to be able to manage and multi-manage the cloud and their workloads and things like that, and even provide lifecycle management, which you know was a big piece of it. Now VMware says that lifecycle management is not going to be you're going to get charged for that, where the competitor is saying, well, no, we're going to throw that in for free if you have a platinum license. Yeah. So. Did Did you see anything specific around in-user computing in any cloud? Um, no, they actually didn't show. I was waiting to see something about you know about a Win 10 box, about a, a desktop, about yep. you know something about that. I didn't even hear anything about the mobile. You know, nothing about you know they they brought up the AirWatch, but they didn't really plug it in. You know, they didn't plug yeah. it. In. <coughs> but I think. I think with the with the whole cross cloud architecture they're putting in, you know, with any cloud, and now the announcement that you know with the partnership with IBM yeah. to do, you know, the vCloud Air Foundation, that is going to open all, you know, vCloud Air services to IBM, which means that they're probably going to do Horizon Air. Right. I all the foundation to do it. I do not want <laughs> any cloud environment managed by vCenter. And I, and I, obviously, I'm on the competitor side somewhat, but I get basically daily or weekly emails telling me about reboots happening in those services, and it's because of the management. I, that's what I would like to see more of, and that's typically a, a November thing at VMworld anyway in Barcelona, but from the management side. So, guys, I'm hearing, like, maybe more from the EUC side, you know, Maybe someone else has done this. Questions about managing your cloud from vCenter, reliability, and so forth. But but when I heard it, I was just thinking strictly hypervisor. Yeah. And it and is it what I'm thinking? Is is this the the following true? Are they saying that I've got um, VMware clusters? I'm running vCenter, and now I can go like for example, move a machine over to Amazon or over to Azure. Is that what they're saying? And then I can manage it. Yeah. Well, the management is the management part was sketchy, but the the transport uh, the the migration was was shown. Okay. Yeah, so and, and the other you can get there. It's just the question is what happens once you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the other big part of um, the announcement was um, around what what I think is one of their new flagship products, NSX, and what they're doing around networking and security. So um, if you look at public clouds traditionally, um, you don't have a lot of options from a, a, a lockdown perspective um, around networking and security. Um, you basically can create segments, and inside of those segments can have um, some uh, containerization of your, your workloads in those segments. Um, but it's not the, the capabilities that 
customers are now experiencing for on-prem with uh, NSX being able to do micro-segmentation and east-to-west uh, firewalls, which are very difficult to implement without a technology like NSX. Mm -hmm. So a big part of what they actually demoed was having workloads up in AWS, but being able to secure the east-west traffic um, using the same type of frameworks that they have within NSX for on-prem. So um, as typical uh, for VMworld, I, I don't know if any of the shipping dates have been announced for that yet, um, or you know when, when that would actually come to the market, but the, the Cloud Foundation stuff, a big part of it is networking security for public clouds. Cool. And, and Marius uh, just commented, being able to stretch layer two across multiple clouds with management is key. And that, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, and I see really, I think that's the way that, you know, all of them, all of the, 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 the providers, the vendors are going to be going is because, you know, realistically, in today's world, I'm going to have a workload on-premises, I'm going to have a workload in AWS, I'm going to have a workload in, in Google Cloud or Azure or what have you, um, still looking for a single pane of glass, pretty much, you know? I think... I think the layer two is important for enterprise workloads, but I think traditional cloud workloads don't give two yahoos about layer two for the most part, and that probably represents the, the challenge or area where VMware can shine if they want to take that head on with NSX. That's a great point. I mean, I was about to ask that. I'm glad you brought it up. So why is layer two... It's a funny thing because the priorities are changing. We used to see customers always wanting layer two links between sites, now, the, the, many of them are saying, well, we'll just go in layer three. Like, why not just be layer three and route everything? What's, what's the difference? I think the, the big reason, or at least this is what I'm seeing, is uh, the, the mobility of the workload and not, have, not having to orchestrate things inside of the workload uh, when it comes up on the other side, uh, as it were. So, so it's keeping the identity the same. Like, it, you can move it, but the IP address and it's all of its settings and identity. Right. right, and then, you know, whether it's the on-prem infrastructure or in the cloud, you know, the, the routing capabilities and everything are smart enough to know, you know, that IP address is no longer in this data center, it's over in this other data center over here. So that that's what I'm seeing. Um, it, we've, you know, we've had challenges with uh, implementations that we've done around SRM and, uh, you know, Zerto probably does a better job overall, but just an orchestration piece of what happens if I pull this over and, you know, re-IPing of that workload. And some services respond well to being re-IPed, some don't. Yeah, good point. Uh, and then and also also all the hard links inside applications. A lot of organizations don't know all the references that are in an application. It, exactly. If, if it's not a commercial off-the-shelf application, it's a homegrown application, the likelihood that it will re-IP without something breaking um, I mean, ultimately, that's the reason why you test these things and you do BCP tests, you know, pre preferably quarterly kind of thing. But um, I, I think uh, that that's some of the challenges that we've seen. And I think as the world moves more towards cloud and hybrid, um, having mobility of those workloads, it's not something that you're going to do on a plant outage where your entire business is impaired. You would you would be able to, to have mobility for those workloads regularly. Um, hey, we need to burst this up here, and we'll just you know spin it up. Right, on the platform. right. And and that is from from what I, the people I have talked to that that ability to move from data center one to data center two very seamlessly. It's the one most asked for reason to go NSX. Uh, 
Um, so, so obviously NSX, um, we've been dancing around it, but we haven't directly addressed it. I think there has been a significant amount of um, conversations around NSX. Um, like I mentioned, it seems to be what VMware is now going after is their new flagship product. Um, I, I think, you know, in the market, it will revolutionize a lot of things, much like ESX did with making high availability a checkbox kind of thing. This new approach with NSX makes networking and security and micro-segmentation a, a checkbox kind of conversation. It's um, it's not nearly as difficult as it could be if done in, in hardware uh, with, with physical ports and uh, those types of isolation environments. Um, so, you know, Mike, what, what are your thoughts um, on anything you've dug into from an NSX perspective? Has you spent, spent much time there? Well, yeah, and actually, uh, one of the things I had a discussion with um, one of the VMware folks about it, uh, a, a briefing on the internals of it. But one of the questions that, that I've been talking to a couple people about is the time to implement NSX. I've actually had one or two people actually ask me, they're like, you know, this NSX thing will solve a lot of problems for us. It really will. And um, if you're talking about building, you know, a, a new data center or if you're migrating or um, you just want to, um, you know, reinvent um, what you have, um, there really is a good purpose to move to that software-defined networking, and, and NSX is a good move in that. But they're actually asking the question, how long is it going to take me to do this? You know, and Realistically, even the folks from VMware say, you know, we're not talking about something that can be done in a week. We're not talking about something that can even be done in a month. We're talking about something that is is long term. It's transformational, right? Oh, uh, it, and the logistics behind it in terms of um, all the knobs, buttons, and dials you have to turn in order to get this thing to to function and then be maintained. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's not even a person who's a, a Cisco guy. You know, that, yep. that a networking guy. They're not going to fully understand this. They're not, you know, unless they're uh, really, you know, broken into the world of software-defined. So, it, it's from the from the uh, the under layers um, on top. It looks really cool. It fixes a lot of problems. It's really flashy. We can do this. We can do that. But then you have to take a step back and you have to look at the the actual overhead, the administration, mm -hmm. the you know, and even the implementation. It, it, to me, a lot of people overlook that. And definitely, you yeah. know, and, and VMware by rights actually tries to, you know, play over that, saying, oh, we've got the consultant, we can, you know, we can bring professional services in, we can bring partners in, we can do this, we can do that. So. Sure. Yeah, just don't ask them about the lead time to actually yeah. get any of those services. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, apparently with the, I guess they grew from 400 customers last year to over 1,600 this year. They just have a crazy backlog yeah. of work for PSA. Yeah. Yeah, they have four. Actually, uh, we found out from our, our, uh, our SE out of Chicago that they have four open recs right now um, just for SEs to implement NSX. Gotcha. Four open recs. I mean, that's... In the Chicago area in alone? In the Midwest Chicago area. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to say it's a growth area is kind of putting <laughs> yeah. it modestly, right? Well, how about that automation tool we saw yesterday? On the center that, that you can draw, draw, you tweet about it, day. Eh? The flow, the flow, oh, and then generates yeah. the the rules for the distributed firewall. By you know, yeah. So, so that that was a preview of some stuff that is going to be coming into the NSX platform to basically map out your applications. Did they buy um, somebody for that? I don't know. Did they? I thought they bought someone, uh, another company. But the the one they bought for that is what uh, a 
VAR or system integrator will use for the assessment tool. Oh, they put an assessment gotcha. tool that you go, you put it, you put it in this virtual appliance that we I have seen, and then it actually maps all your communication. So it's like a like an extra hub that you put there, and then aggregates all the information and give you a sh uh, a, a, com a configuration of how your application applications are talking. Application or what what at what layer is that talk? I mean, the map. It's it, like an app dynamics that, that sounds like an app, yeah. a, a network sniffer. Uh, okay. Like an exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's you like an network sniffer. Set up mirroring ports on your virtual yeah. switches and then trunk it over to uh, gotcha. to know, this virtual appliance. That's exactly what virtual it is. Virtual sniffer, yeah. Which it, it, you know, to a large extent, is how things like ExtraHop um, have yeah. been implemented, um, getting that wire data from the virtualization infrastructure. Um, so I do, I do like where they're going with that. Um, the preview was actually really slick. It was like Here's your application with the you know these three tiers, and here's how you would actually plan for then dropping into micro segmented pools and then closing off the east to west they traffic. Really, they really focused on that term, uh, the micro, micro segmentation. Oh, it's like the biggest it's buzzword. A, it's in the... a new buzzword. If you say that, you're gonna impress customers, man. I'm yeah. telling you. Well, I think I think it's you know in industry first, like uh, in the traditional world, you don't have a lot of options for how you can truly isolate traffic on private networks. You have um, private VLANs, right, which, you know, in, in California, that's how the majority of Comcast, which is our cable provider, implement their their services so that you can talk upbound, you know, north-south type of traffic, but you can't talk to your neighbors, even though they're on the same broadcast domain. So there's been ways to do that, but in enterprise IT, nobody's doing that, right? I mean, you would have a very weird niche use case if you did Private VLANs and that type of isolation. So it's been around network. for a long time. It's just they've never actually made it possible for the average Joe networking guy to actually implement or utilize. Yeah, <laughs> and and I think the other thing is there was no granularity in yeah. the physical constructs, yeah. right? You can't say in a physical world, hey, um, you can't talk to anybody on this layer two subnet except if you're talking to this guy over here on port eighty or four four three, right? That ability to get granular with it is really powerful because in, even in private VLANs, it's it's an all or nothing thing. You either have it or you don't, right? Yeah, but again, it, that power with power becomes great, great responsibility. responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the BI admin being able to shut off all the ports on all yeah. of his application servers? And, oh, what was that switch? What did, what did I mean to do there? Um, you just broke the internet. <laughs> Congratulations! You push you push the little red button. <laughs> you broke the internet. That was easy. Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> um, so so I think um, you know NSX has been a big topic for um, VMworld. That was a big key part of the Cloud Foundation stuff. I don't know if there's any other meat to the Cloud Foundation stuff that we you know can yeah, talk about. Other not, than not really. And again, and Ben Sear, who's actually the uh, engineer now that's in charge of the Cloud Foundation. Mm -hmm. He told me that they're again they're going to have more announcements in Barcelona around it. So cool. Um, getting on to some of the EUC stuff, um, the the day two keynote for anybody that's on uh, listening to the podcast and you want to catch up on what's new in EUC for uh, VMworld, um, just totally skip over day one keynote because <laughs> there's nothing in day one keynote applicable to EUC. They saved all that. Really, for the first half hour of the hour and a half of the day two keynote, um, and, uh, and and Jack and Gabe were doing um, the live blog, and you know then they then went they went silent for a while. They were like, 
We'll be back probably this afternoon because the rest of this has nothing to do with EUC. Um, so it wasn't even the whole day two keynote, but um, they, they did just go fast and furious with a bunch of stuff that they've been doing in, in, in user computing in the keynote. And the thing that I observed, um, and everybody has their own opinion, I'm interested what you guys think. Um, Live demos or recorded demos? Yeah, you oh, tweeted yeah. about that. Well, yeah. Yeah. You tweeted about that. Yeah. <laughs> so one one thing that I noticed at this VMworld, probably more than others, was that there was absolutely no risk whatsoever no, in you know the actual main stage. You know. So demos. that's an interesting. I just want to say this really quick: is that it's an interesting that you brought that up because I had a conversation with the guy who does ninety percent of the demos for Citrix. Okay. Okay. Um, you guys know him, Scott Lane. Scott Lane, yep. so, yeah. Which is here, by the way. Yeah, he's here, and that's the conversation I had with him yesterday. And he he said to me, he goes, "Well, did you notice that we have the uh, quote unquote marbles to do them live, <laughs> 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 not recorded?" Yeah. <laughs> You know what it is, guys? After so many years of doing demos, and, and I'm sorry, I'm watching them. I got, we got an echo there. Um, the thing is, they're probably going to fail. It has nothing to do with your preparation or your product. You're in an environment of however many thousands of radios and Wi-Fi's, and that's the main issue. So I understand um, recording, but I would say it's more credibility when you take the risk and have a failure here or there. And what they probably should do is have it recorded so when it fails, they can go, oh, let me show you what it should have done. You know, that's my take on it. Well, and everything is scripted now. I mean, if you look at it, everything they do in a keynote is timed down to the second. Exactly. And everything is scripted. So it's almost like if you did have a hiccup in a demo, even to revert to that recording, it would throw off the entire keynote. Yeah. Um, you know, so, yeah. And, and just on that point, I think... You know, pound for punch, they got a lot more content in there because of the recorded oh, demos yeah. than we would have seen if somebody was coming out and walking on stage, doing a five-minute demo, walking back. Like, there's a lot more narrative that would have to happen to bring somebody on stage to do a demo, and I think they just cut, the, cut through the BS. Especially just, if the demo breaks. Well, yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> the guys on stage. Good point. That's a good point. And then the guy on stage is going through his backdoor account to be able to do the demo. <laughs> A little bit of a jab from Saturday. Yeah, definitely. That was out, but I watched the recording. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I think you know they they did a lot of demos, um, even uh, in uh, uh, in Sean and in um, submit session. They did a bunch of like demos of new UIs and concepts that that they're working on, um, but none of them were live. But I think you know to Steve's point, there is a risk factor. There is you know the reward of having it. Uh, be something that that you do, but I think also just you know you get more demos in in that period of time. So maybe uh, the perfect the perfect recipe is record a bunch of stuff and then have one one or two live things that they, right. they, they the ones that are really impactful to do live, right? The yeah. ones that make a big well, difference. I mean, realistically, uh, Steve, Dwayne, Mario, uh, Dave, we we've all done, been in this position. We've all presented. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, we run into the failures. I mean, Forum, my my demo failed miserably, and I have So we we all know what this is is about. Yeah, you know, it's just how it plays out to the general audience and that that doesn't know what has to happen behind the scenes in order to make that happen. 
Right? Yeah. But I also think that having a live demo, one or two live demos, gives everybody this sense of, hey, this is a real product. It's actually there. Yeah. It's not a bunch of... There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The so, more smoke and mirrors? What, what are you talking about? So, Eduardo, that's the essential question. Do you have more credibility if you do it for real and fail? Yeah. Or, if, or if you show something and convey it works? Which one gives you more credibility? That was actually a quote that Brian gave, I think, at, at one of the Bride forums uh, back in 2010 or something, where him and Benny actually did a, a presentation and a, the demo failed miserably. Mm -hmm. uh, and Brian just said, hey, if the demo doesn't fail, you're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he actually, on his um, goodbye speech at the end of uh, Bride forum 2016, he brought that up. Did he? Okay. Yeah. I, I like the recordings just from the fact that sometimes there's a lot of waiting around depending on the demo, yeah. and so you, it, it's a bit different at Brightform because we're not we're not pimping our own products per yeah. se. So we, you can go ahead and cut out a lot of the the stuff and save everybody well, some, some time. Some of us aren't Dwayne. I mean, I, you know, you you're, you're hawking your product, but obviously. <laughs> But to be fair, there are 30 people in the room, not 3,000 watching, you know. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. 23,000 in VMworld. Yeah. Whatever the number is, yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, this show is just crazy. Uh, it, it baffles me every time I come to VMworld just how large the ecosystem is. Well, and, and that's a good segue. If you guys don't mind, I just want to take a couple minutes here. Um, 23,000. Yeah. Okay, is what the attendance, I think they showed it up on the board. It was 23-something. I don't know. Um, but I've been going to VMworld for a lot of years, and I can tell you the number just keeps going up, right? But the logistics stay the same. It's like VMworld doesn't learn anything from past experience. Um, when they start yeah. cowherding, you know, 20,000 people into this room or into that or, or whatever, I mean, logistically, it's a nightmare. And the layout of the, the, the venue, I mean... I put I put 18 miles, yeah, you know, on in all indoors. <laughs> they're yeah. they're all indoors. Yeah. Right. I've never seen sunlight, but yeah. I put 18 miles on. The one that always got me, Mike, though. The, the worst part was always um, those box lunches because they bring you down to like to the basement. No, 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 no Steve, you're you're missing the best part now. Box lunches were in Frisco, right? And in, okay. in San Francisco here. They have really good lunch, and they actually have multiple areas that you can get lunch, which is kind of cool, and they're different everywhere. But the problem is, is that they focused on the lunch, and they totally skimped on the breakfast. The breakfast is always Danishes and fruit, you know. Yeah. Um, but the lunches, they, they actually they actually did lunches and not the box lunches like you got at Moscone. Oh, Okay. Uh, because the, the thing about the box lunches was the, the, the number of people so high that they sent you in these rooms where you couldn't see the other side, and they yeah. marched you like an army, like yeah. <laughs> like through this gigantic room to your spot where you could eat. It was bizarre. Well, and what's cool here is they actually have a little food court that's right outside in the Mandalay here, so you can go get a Johnny Rockets or Nathan's Hot Dog if you wanted to or something like that. So yeah. You're not tied just to the... the but is it, are they paying for that, you're saying? No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. No. Okay. So you're yeah, just you get two more options. options. Don't you like paying? Like, it's like twelve bucks for a hot dog. You know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, uh, but I, I do like the longer format for the sessions 
Every session is one hour. The problem with that is back to back. You go from 11 to yeah. 12, from 12 to 1, so you have no time to go from room to room. You don't. Yeah. And the rooms are, they're not next to each other. They're, they're you know, depending on where you're going, Lagoon, Oceanside, wherever, they're, they're really spread out. Yeah. Um, but also, I want to say, the, the uh, what do you guys think of the solution exchange? I mean, um, the, you walk in there, I mean, I think it's really well organized this year yeah. in terms right. of, of traffic flow. The problem is, is that, do you guys remember a complaint that, that VMworld had um, a couple of years ago where they said that the vendors were in the aisles too much? So they would yeah. have people that would go in the aisles and try and get uh, badge scans and give out, you know, stuff. And but that's happening here. I can't even walk a straight line because there are so many vendors that are in the aisles, you know, and they uh, scan your badge, scan your badge, scan your badge. You know, it's just it's crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah. But at least you don't have to go out across the street or no. diagonal. You're no. within the same building. Yep. Which yeah. I think that's one one thing that only Vegas can do, I guess. Yeah. Um, that disgusts me. I've never done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way, way to chime in there on all the, the pointed vendor. Uh, <laughs> anytime we're talking about a vendor, Dwayne pop, uh, pipes up. Just trying to make a living. Yeah, yeah so, well, so, so I've suffered through enough conferences to know all the food problems and logistics, but I'm not in Vegas. I'm dying to know what you guys think about the EUC announcements, directions. You talked about the future session yep, and yep. condensed keynote. What, what's your take on it? Do you think they got it right? So I think um, more of what I'm seeing these days is both AirWatch as well as integration between AirWatch and you know their other EUC products. So Identity you know, manager? What's that? I, I, I identity identity manager. Yeah, exactly. So I think um, going forward, a lot of this stuff is going to be blended in terms of what is this product and its capabilities and what is it delivering in terms of a, a value set or feature set. And then, you know, what what in AirWatch seems to be front and center in, in a lot of these discussions. So. And, I, and I just want to add to that is that part of the confusion that, that, that we talked about in the VMware booth yesterday was... Um, AirWatch. AirWatch has become a flagship, right? It yep. really is. And yep. Part of the confusion that they're playing off of, um, and Steve, you know this uh, as well as everybody, is the uh, con the customer confusion around the whole Zen Mobile and Microsoft Netness. So <clears throat> VMware is really, really playing off of that, saying, "Hey, bypass all of this confusion. Just come over to AirWatch. We'll take care of you." Yeah, but is that is that a compelling message for a customer though, who may or may not? you know, think of their EUC environment as mostly about mobility. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it, but they, they are making that a key point, though. If you go into the booth, yeah. they're, they're pushing that. Yeah, and I, I think it's beyond just mobility, um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of this in, you know, the coming three years as Win 10 adoption just skyrockets. Um, you know, mobility used to be something that we reserved for talking about iOS and Android and maybe some of those Windows phone users that were out there. Uh, I, me, myself, I was one of them for about a year and a half. Um, but you and now, Benny, Benny. you and Benny, right? Yeah, me and Benny, and I think Claudio Claudia, was. Claudia. Yeah, Claudio was a Windows Phone user for a little while. Um, but sorry. It, what's that? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry too. <laughs> <laughs> I made a good run of it. I was really liking it for a while. Um, but then, um, you know, with Windows 10 being treated as you know an MDM platform going forward, um, I think there's there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of changes in the next three years as, as Windows 10 adoption increases 
as you start to see more quote-unquote mobility products managing both in the data center as well as outside of the data center, there's going to be some really interesting stuff there. Um, and one of the demos that, um, that Sean and Summit showed during their session was um, this A-squared thing, uh, which is AirWatch Plus app volumes. And uh, it's all future stuff. You know, they were talking about um, announcing pricing and availability at uh, the AirWatch Connect, I think mm -hmm. is the name of the conference, in October. Um, and, and so, you know, nothing's been announced yet in terms of availability, but um, they showed a workflow where you basically go into the app catalog and say, hey, I want to subscribe to that application, very similar to like a res service store type of approach where the users can go self-subscribe to their applications. If the application is delivered with app volumes, it'll start pulling down the VHD locally, and then as soon as a, a base binary set is there for the application to launch, then you'll be able to launch the application and have the rest come down um, in the background. Um, and then, you know, also orchestrating a lot of things like Red Service Store does with, um, if it's a locally installed application, kicking off that local application install through the AirWatch MDM components. So while mobility has historically been something we reserve for iOS and Android, I think we're going to see a lot more of that for just Windows in general, Windows 10 um, and Chrome. And, and Chrome. And I like the messaging that they're doing. Um, they're calling it unified endpoint management. So it doesn't matter what it is. Um, and they're also going with the message. I saw a couple demos of don't, don't, don't re-image Windows 10, right? Yeah. Just subscribe with the whole workspace, one thing. Subscribe to it, and you get access to what you need whenever you need it. So don't, don't start redoing, re-imaging, especially without Surface uh, being added to the environment. That, that unified uh, endpoint management, I think, is a, is a very powerful message. That's pretty awesome. So you're also talking about on-premises. Like the company's going to deploy Windows 10, so you're saying in that framework you can treat it like a mobile device, you can manage the endpoint, and then you can attach you know, app volumes and layers and things to it, is what you're saying, right? Yep. yep. Treat it like an appliance, like an iPhone, like an Android tablet. Does it? Exactly. But does it still have to be deployed? But it's still deployed by like an enterprise desktop team, right? You're saying they just don't personalize it? No. So the demos that we have seen is, you know, you get a laptop. Let's say you get a Surface. You go to mycompany.com and, and download Workspace One app, sign up for it, and then all your content comes down. So you, you know, you still have a team that it's creating the content, but but at the end you, you know. You just go and subscribe to things. But I mean yeah. more like the machines on the domain and so yeah. forth, right? Uh, yeah, so think of the enrollment process um, for uh, Azure AD. If you've okay. seen that process for like Windows 10 devices joining to Azure AD, hey, give me your work or school email address, and then your device gets enrolled to Azure AD. So it's yeah. similar to that workflow for uh, enrolling devices through, um, through AirWatch, and then as soon as that gets done, then it starts pushing policies, then it starts changing wallpapers and, and things like that based on the configuration set um, that, that IT is, is set up there. But I guess the, the core question I'm getting at is if it's an on-premises um, deployment, is it a generic device that you're starting with? Um, yeah, you can start with a generic device, yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that um, so so I put a link in the um, in in the tweet chat for uh, the new website that they launched um, windowsuem.com um, so that that was announced uh, during the keynote 
uh, from day two. Uh, so the unified endpoint management technologies uh, that, that we've been talking about, there's a link there. Um, there's not a whole lot of content there. It's basically just a, a landing page. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's, it's cool that they're kind of taking that new name for UEM. Well, that's a great vision. Got to give them tremendous credit to, to see those things and pull them together. But doesn't surprise me with Sean and everybody else they have there. Right. Yeah, and they're just leveraging, you know, the Windows 10 architecture, right? They're not trying to do anything new. You're just leveraging how Windows 10 and how what Microsoft is starting to treat their devices. Yeah, and and I think you know as that evolves, as as adoption goes up, the evolution of how what how and what we can do with Windows 10 is going to change, because I think originally when you had MDM managed devices in Windows 10, the only apps that you could really push uh, per you know Windows was the unified apps. Um, the, the, the modern apps, for lack of a better term. Um, but now, uh, you know, this workflow that they showed, they actually pushed, you know, Win32 applications, legacy applications, and you could see them under C program files and all the file structures and, and directory trees and all that. Or if you push a VHD with app volumes, then it would basically just be a read-only container that's attached um, for that application. Um, sorry, I'm not sure if I should use the term container for app volumes. Um, but you guys get the point. Um, the, the other one that I want to talk about, because it, it was very fascinating to me, especially around this whole topic of networking and security, NSX, et cetera, was uh, this company called Tanium. You guys saw that demo um, in the keynote. Um, VMware's calling it TrustPoint. Um, what, what are your guys' thoughts on uh, that platform? It's, it's, I guess it's been in the works for some, some time. Tell me what it does. I didn't see it. So what are you talking about? Sure, so uh, one of the things that they demoed during the keynote was um, uh, VMware TrustPoint, which is powered by Tanium, which is a separate company that, you know, customers have been able to go out and purchase uh, their standalone products. Um, VMware's created an OEM type of relationship with them uh, for this TrustPoint product. And um, think of it as like a uh, big data analytics platform for your IT infrastructure. Um, and it uses just a common language set to search for things. So you could say, show me any uh, files with this executable name. Um, and it, you know, it uses its inventory to real-time search uh, all of the machines that are reporting in to show you uh, all of those files. So the interesting thing that they showed was, um, I believe it's called an MD5 hash uh, for threats. You could have an MD5 hash for a zero-day exploit and then do a search using common query language to say, show me all machines that have this MD5 hash, which means that they're infected with this zero-day exploit. And it basically will give you real-time query type of capabilities for your uh, IT-managed infrastructure. Um, so that, that's the, the high level uh, of what it does. It's basically like a data collection analytics platform and then gives you the ability of querying against that uh, analytics platform. Um, so the cool demo that they showed was um, the zero-day exploits real-time detection thing. Um, and then they're also uh, talking about integration into AirWatch. So anything that has uh, some type of management in AirWatch, you basically be able to see if it's in, in compliance, if it has these types of exploits um, or uh, you know, different things like that, if it's in violation. Does it apply to EUC, but does it essentially monitor your desktops too? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So 
it, it would be a separate agent that gets installed. Um, you know, I, I know very little about the company other than they've been around for a while. Um, you know, VMware just decided that, you know, it was key to where they're going in the market to, you know, do an OEM type of relationship with them uh, for TrustPoint. Um, but I guess they support uh, Windows agents, Linux, AIX, um, basically anything that you would have in your data center environment. Uh, you could drop agents on there and be able to do, like, big data analytics searching against your environment for anything that you can think of in a Google-like common query language that is human understandable kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. No, it was good. So, um, so I, I think that was that was a pretty cool demo. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, because I'm a partner, of course, I'm interested to see if there's <coughs> NFR licenses available to start playing around with it and see, you know, what its use is. But I think just the thread there, uh, you know, both with NSX as well as with Tanium is just this increased focus on uh, networking and security and how much that's changing our lives and our, our world that um, no longer is it just the security team that is responsible for this, but, um, you know, it's broadening that everybody needs to be security conscious in 2016 because of all the data breaches and everything else that's been going on. So did I think you guys, did, uh, did Simon Crosby's uh, Bromium have any presence there? Do you guys see any traction to their approach? Um, I, I didn't see them. I'm sure they're on the showroom floor. Um, you guys didn't see them on the showroom I, floor? I actually look for them. They're, um, not, here. they're not here. Is that right? Okay. Yep. So I didn't I didn't look for them specifically, but there you go. I'm just curious because their their approach of at at the process level, you know, caching and isolating at the process level is uh, coming from a different approach. I was just curious if that was catching on at all. Yeah, um, I'm not I'm not really sure from a VMware perspective. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. maybe we should get Simon on sometime and find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the other question I have for you guys is, you covered a lot of interesting things, was you know, the elephant in the room is Microsoft, and there was one reference to the way they're doing Windows 10 is changing you know, the way things are done, and at Citrix Synergy, Microsoft was in the room, you know, they invited the elephant in, but what's your take on the, 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 like the, the status of Microsoft? I mean, they're making incredible moves with the scale of Azure with um, 365, the way they're structuring their licenses, the way they're transforming the OS. Like, what, what was, your, what was, what's your impression of the impact or pressure or situation with Microsoft in the EUC world? Um, I don't know. I mean, Microsoft really kind of, I mean, they own the desktop, right? So they've got kind of a thing that everybody wants. Um, and VMware uh, has always said, well, we can, we, you know, we have the ability to put Horizon up in the cloud. We have the ability to do this and that. But it's always been a, a question of licensing. It's always been Microsoft coming back and saying, well, you know, it, it, the EULA doesn't allow for that or or what have you. I think the announcement with the Windows 10 announcement with Citrix and the ability to put Zen Desktop up there, that kind of changed the game a bit. But uh, surprisingly enough, uh, Microsoft is not here. Um, Citrix has a, a big... Uh, a display here, but Microsoft is, has no booth um, really? presence here at all. So um, I don't know how that plays in. I mean, um, you know, eventually everybody wants to get a desktop in the cloud. You know? So we know that Microsoft announced um, a limited scenario to do VDI in the cloud, and it's a little bit nebulous on the public side. 
do we know, does, does VMware get that right in some way? I, I don't think that's been disclosed yet. Um, and, and right now, uh, like we've said, outside of the, the software component um, for EUC and public cloud, there's been literally nothing discussed in terms of how VMware is addressing the other elephant in the room, which is what if customers want to deploy into AWS or Azure and use their VDI um, or application publishing infrastructure to get to that environment. Um, VMware still doesn't have a story for they that. Don't. They don't have a story for it. Yeah. So un until and unless that changes, I don't think that being able to run Windows 10 in Azure is going to mean a whole lot of anything. I, th I thought we were we were told at Synergy that Citrix has pretty got pretty much got a lock with Microsoft on on having that ability uh, from a one to one vendor standpoint. How long that that relationship and that uh, that that tight only one vendor can do this in our cloud um, statement goes. Um, we we have yet to see, but right now. That's exactly right. That's why. That's why I was asking because I was wondering if Microsoft um, kind of specifically configured that so that they had the right. But I mean, they can't. Like you said, they can't ultimately do that and say to a market, "You can only run this license in this scenario." So. But they've got a lot of good lawyers, so I'm sure that whatever way they did it holds up at least for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I think that's that's that for now. The other thing that has happened since the last time we had a podcast is Microsoft's announcement around retiring Azure Remote App, um, which I think you know it's interesting, um, not because you know the adoption was significant, at least not in our our customer base, um, but there was definitely a lot of interest there. And as you know, as the story goes with Microsoft, it created some competitive angles against ZenApp, right? Um, and you know, the field Microsoft team was starting to get a little into that space. Um, but you know, Microsoft has officially stated that they're ducking out of that business. Um, that Azure Remote App has basically a shelf life of another year, um, and they're nudging customers to go the Citrix route, um, which you know is still in development, but basically. You know, Citrix is working on a story for replacing Azure Remote App with their own type of solution. But you know what, Dane, is really interesting about that? They named it ZenApp Express, so they kept the brand name, Citrix brand name. That was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, in quotes, right? That's kind of Ex air, Express right? with double quotes <laughs> around it, right? Yeah, but, it had, but ZenApp wasn't in quotes, right? I'm just, I'm just saying that they're using the Citrix, Citrix branding. They didn't just say we're going to use your technology and call it Remote App Two, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think you know, as it relates to VMware, I think the cloud story is still unfolding, um, especially around end-user end computing. Maybe we'll see some more stuff uh, in the future, um, but a lot of what we saw was more around um, uh, the the traditional stuff. Uh, AirWatch, Horizon, uh, as well as you know the developments that they're you know finally bringing to market from um, Horizon Air Hybrid Mode or um, Ham. Ham, yeah, blending that one together is the acronym of Ham, uh, which VMware doesn't want you to do. So <laughs> understandably, I won't do that ever again. I promise. So not not being there, if I could pull you guys on, what's your what's your take on the state of VMware EUC today? Um, I, I think the story is getting more and more complete, um, with exception of the whole public cloud dynamic. Um, so, 
you know, their their approach to public cloud is, yeah, we have our DAS offering, so use that. Um, so outside of that, I think all the complementary technologies that are wrapping around um, their their core, you know, traditionally VDI only type of business is getting more and more complete. Their hosted applications or you know RDSA published application story is getting more and more complete. Their feature set continues to improve. Um, I find it interesting that like the competitive stuff from the Citrix side, you know, it's always hey we've got these checkboxes that are different from VMware's checkboxes, and then at you know VMworld less than three months later from Synergy, um, VMware's released a new version that addresses those checkboxes. So I mean it's it's continuing to be a tit for tat type of battle, um, but it's it's getting a lot closer, especially in terms of RDSH published apps, which has historically been where Citrix leads significantly. Um, in the v VDI only type of market, it's it's a lot harder for um, for Citrix to have a competitive advantage, at least from what I've seen. Cool. So. And I also think that um, it, it's getting more attention from the VMware as a whole. I mean, nobody else got 30 minutes on the keynote day too, but you see. Everybody else was rushing fast, 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 next guy, fast, 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 next guy. And actually, a, a partner exchange, which started you know, Saturday and Sunday, they got a lot of time. I mean, uh, you know, Sanji was up there, and a lot of people were up there um, spending a lot of time about EUC in general. So I think they're getting more uh, more attention. Cool. cool. With vSAN and, and NSX being the big thing that they want to push now. Yeah, um, as well as you know, just-in-time uh, desktops. Um, the uh, the uh, clone. No, what do they call it? Instant clone. Instant clone. Sorry, yeah. just just-in-time desktops is more of a concept, but instant clone is the name of the feature. And then uh, app volumes as well. Um, of course, they have their own user environment management product, um, which you know that completes the story as well. Um, but yeah, we're seeing a lot of um, just the full stack being more complete than it's ever been, I think. Do you guys think Instant Clone is extremely cool? Do you guys think it, it has an implication for the market? I mean, technology-wise, it's awesome. Right. Yeah, I think um, I think it does have some very interesting implications. Obviously, anytime you have a new technology, there's going to be limitations. Um, but, yeah, it, it's brilliant to be able to have less than three seconds being able to have the desktop completely ready for a new user to log in versus the time that it takes to provision, time that it takes to boot up, all that kind of stuff. So um, Sean has said this in the past, and I, I think you know he's spot on with it. VMware's vision for instant clones was one of the reasons why he decided to, to jump on board two years ago when he did, and now that vision is becoming a reality, um, and it you know, it is as advertised, right? You know, you have the ability to spinning up a thousand desktops in, in in a matter of, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Well, I want to remind you of the value of when we're owning the, the hypervisor stack, right? Because it's basically a memory copy with a diff and you create a unique identity. The implications for that in the cloud are pretty awesome if you think about it. There is, there's the, like, obviously there's a gap with some of the instant clones not being feature parity with like a standard link clone, which right. is one thing, but I think there's also a feature gap with the layering technologies 
And Unidesk kind of has a leg up because they've switched the way they do layering kind of early on in the process versus at the end. But with app volumes, you know, there is quite a significant load when you attach those VMDKs. So the benefits you get of having a just-in-time desktop may be lost when you talk user density. So I, I do agree it's a great, it is a great thing, and but yeah, it, it'll come around, but some time. Mentioning Unidesk is an interesting point, though, because don't they seem to be like the one group that totally gets layering and personalization? Like, they seem to have the most advanced tool, and it's almost like the big guys ignore them. Yeah. It seems um, like they have it. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot there. Um, obviously, with the Unidesk 4 stuff, they've completely changed their approach compared to where they were, you know, a year ago. Um, going from more of a layering ability to compose individual desktops and manage persistent desktops uniquely and individually to more of a, you know, we're, we're a solution for building the images that then you're going to deploy using your other solutions. So, um, yeah, I think, I think their strategy has changed a lot. Obviously, there were reasons why they had to do that. Um, from a scalability perspective, there was only so far that they could go with the previous architecture. Um, but no, I think you're right. I think you know, to a large extent, the big guys kind of ignore uh, what Unidesk is doing in that space. <laughs> but also, I thought that instant, instant clone, you have to have like very specific requirements. Like you have to have vSAN, you have to have you know hyperconverged technology to take full advantage of instant clones. Isn't that the case? Uh, no, you don't. You don't need vSAN. It, it supports well. It obviously supports vSAN, but also NFS and and block storage. You just don't have VAI support. Yeah, I think it, it's more the Horizon Air hybrid mode that is more strict in terms of the HCL, which um, I think there's only three or four partners. Right I'm pulling up a slide right now. So it's, it's Dell, EMC, Q, QCT, which I've never even heard of before, and uh, Hitachi Data Systems for the, uh, the Horizon Air hybrid mode stuff. So obviously the question there is how much of that had changed from when they originally brought the Horizon Air hybrid mode product into the, the, the ecosystem, and why is that list of vendors so short? Um, is it challenging from a vendor perspective? I don't know. Right. Um, and, and Dwayne, if you can't talk about that one, that's that's perfectly fine. I'm not I'm not putting you on the spot there. Um, so I did uh, I did capture a video during uh, Sean and Smith's session, uh, first time that I had seen. Uh, the user interface for Horizon Air hybrid mode. Um, they were showing it with uh, the VX Rail appliance, of course, because there's you know there's a big push there. Um, but if, for anybody that's interested in actually seeing the Horizon Air hybrid mode interface, uh, I, I have a link to a video out on Twitter, so you can go check that out. Hey, Dan, can you just explain what that is? Because I don't know, and I'm sure listeners would also want to know what is that exactly. Wh which part? The hybrid air, the mode you're talking about. Oh, okay. So, so when they originally had kind of talked about it, um, uh, it was a code name project Enzo. Uh, oh, Enzo. Okay, I knew Enzo. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, it is uh, VMware's um, approach approach to management of a hybrid environment where you would have DAS type of uh, capabilities as well as on-prem. Uh, type of capabilities. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry, I should have 
I should have said exactly you know what it was in its infancy to kind of clear things up um, before we started talking about ham um, for for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, it's basically the, the you know the cloud managed control plane uh, for both on-prem as well as DAS um, workloads. Uh, yeah, that's that's cool. what it is. Yeah, it's a great. The Enzo Vision was amazing. I hadn't seen the latest iteration, so I'll definitely check out your video. Yeah, um, and, and so it's Horizon Air cloud hosted, which is you know their DAS offering. It's Horizon Air hybrid mode, which is the on-prem variation of that, and then uh, in, in the future it will be able to manage Horizon 7 as well. Um, so traditional BDI environments being managed by that cloud-based uh, control. Um, and, and notice I said in the future. So Yeah, cool. So I'll, I'll put that, um, I'll put the link to the video in, in the tweet chat um, so, that, so that it's easily accessible from there. Um, other big things that they talked about um, were uh, traditional um, PC lifecycle management and how that's going to change going forward. Um, we talked about the Windows 10 uh, stuff and, and how important that is um, as we go forward. Um, talked about the trust point aspects. Um, Workspace ONE uh, had a big highlight um, throughout the, the, the conference. so. Eduardo, you want to talk about Workspace ONE at all? Yeah, so so Workspace ONE, I, I think, is, is uh, what they're trying to to do to consolidate all the different interfaces from the end user perspective. So you go to Workspace ONE uh, on a website, or you go to the Workspace ONE on the application, and, and basically it, it's an app that at the end will use something like AirWatch to deliver what needs to be delivered, or you know, single sign-on through um, Identity Manager. So it's your aggregation point is. Uh, you know, for those familiar with Citrix, I will call it very similar to um, to uh, Citrix Works a Home type of application, where you go, you subscribe, and things start getting down. Um, during the keynote day, day two, they had a great demo of um, Workspace One integration with Box Boxer. Uh, Boxer, yeah. Boxer. That was pretty cool to see that that workflow and how they, you know, approvals and, and you know per app VPN stuff like that, which which they're doing. Through NSX uh, and AirWatch, which I was also very very interested. Yeah, yeah, and um, some some of the other things um, that are getting more attention, uh, you know, since the last podcast that we had, obviously Horizon Seven released. Um, there there was a big um, spot on their relationship with Nvidia. Um, so you know, we talk a lot about GPUs. Of course, Thomas isn't on this podcast to talk about his favorite topic. Um, but you know what VMware is doing with Nvidia is um, is unique, um, and you know there's actually going to be some catch-up work that's needed from the the Citrix side to do you know what they've been able to accomplish with Blast Extreme um, and the Nvidia encoding uh, offload to the GPUs inside of a, a VDI environment. Um, so, Dan, so just so I understand, that you're saying that that VMware now has the hardware GPU chips doing the encode decode for the protocol. Yes, that is that's, correct. That's really, really cool. That was a gap on all yeah. products before. It, exactly. So instead of doing the computation on the GPU and then shipping it to CPU to do the actual uh, encoding to send it across the wire, um, Horizon 7, which I think it's been out since April time frame, I want to say, um, it's it's doing the hardware encoding um, on the GPU. 
Um, so uh, seven is seven's been out. Blast Extreme has been out. Um, you know, there there continues to be this conversation in the VMware communities around what that means to uh, their big brother Teradici, because um, it's not leveraging PC over IP. Um, and you know, there's lots of rumors floating about you know the future state of that relationship. Um, of course, I don't have any insight into that, but uh, be interested to see how that's that's going to evolve over the coming three years as um, VMware provides more and more choice from a protocol perspective. Sometimes choice is great. Um, other times it creates confusion. Uh, it creates difficulty to manage, as you know we've we've seen on the Citrix side for sure. With all the different codecs and Framehawk and you know you name it, ThemeWire Plus, ThemeWire, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Now, but when do you use Blast? Is that an HTML5 only scenario, or is there native uh, clients? It, it used to be an HTML5 only uh, browser-based experience. Um, Blast Extreme is basically when they brought that into both the client as well as uh, the server-side rendering for uh, GPU offload onto the NVIDIA. Parts. Okay. Um, so, so basically, it's you know cross client now, um, and it, it leverages uh, H.264 um, as the primary, well, as the only um, yep. protocol delivery yep. codec mechanism. Um, it's included the native clients. Is I think the big development is what you're saying, right? Yeah, and you know most every physical client out there, um, device, whether it's a tablet or a laptop or a, you know an iPad or you know whatever it may be, has H.264 decoding capabilities. Right. So by using that as a standard, they're now able to both do the encode in the server side in the data center, send it across the wire, but also do the decode on the client side, which you know again very unique uh, in the market right now. They've got a leg up in that regard. But but uh, Steve, to that point, you know, if, if you are a customer of Horizon View and you went through the thin client, you know, scenario and you actually focus on zero clients, then you cannot leverage um, right right stream. Gotcha, because you need the actual local GPU power. And it it continues to be this discussion around, you know, how often should clients reevaluate their thing client slash zero client strategy, right? This is another one of those key pivotal uh, uh, points where if a customer is considering going to Horizon 7 and they're looking to evaluate um, Blast Extreme, they really need to be looking at what kind of thing clients or endpoints they're going to be using. Um, but a good, just a good point to that is it doesn't need to be an expensive endpoint. You just need to have the right feature set on it. So, like the uh, the endpoint that um, VMware loves to talk about is uh, is the Kangaroo. Have you guys seen that one yet? No. So, so the Kangaroo is a ninety nine dollar device um, that has all the capabilities that we're talking about in terms of being able to do the H two six four decode aspect for uh, Blast Extreme. Um, so it's very very inexpensive, um, you know, Intel on a stick type of thing. Right, uh, but it, it has all these capabilities. So I guess my point to that is that um, it it doesn't need to be an expensive device. It just needs to have um, the right capabilities. That you know, we should really do an episode on the state of the endpoint. Oh yeah, that'd yeah. be a great discussion. Because something interesting is Steve that I saw in one of the breakout sessions that I went to is they announced uh, Raspberry Pi support. 
and also they're going to have a mouse for the iPad users. So it's it's uh, it's by a company called SwiftPoint. They are doing the mouse for for the um, for the iPad. So now now they, that's another thing that Citrix used to say. Hey, we are the only mouse available for the you know for yeah. the yeah. tablet. Not anymore. Same thing with Raspberry Pi. Now there's those two are there. Well, I know we're at the end of our time now, Dane, but I I think we really should do an endpoint and also revisit. The, the Nirvana phone concept, the concept that your phone is your compute device and it takes on different form factors, because that's sort of coming back too. Yep, that, that would definitely be a good discussion. Um, so yeah, I think we covered a lot of it. Um, you know, other things from from Nvidia, just to co cover this last point while we're closing off the discussion around um, the Blast Extreme piece. So I, I did a blog post on Blast Extreme for anybody that wants to check it out. And see that um, they can go check out that blog post. But since the last podcast that we had, um, video also, um, hey Dwayne, I think that's you. Can you go on mute? Um, yep. Nvidia also released their M10 card, um, which I think was also very important for the market um, because it now has the greatest density for vGPU capabilities in a single card, getting all the way up to uh, 64 users on a single grid card. So just to close off that conversation around the GPUs and Blast Extreme and all that kind of stuff, we now have the ability of doing two M10s in a server to get over 100 users per box, which, you know, that's kind of a milestone uh, in this space, uh, being able to do uh, 100 users on a box with GPU capability. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about the M10. Um, you know, haven't got my hands on it yet, but uh, from everything that I, I'm seeing and reading, it, it looks like it's going to be that um, GPU for the masses type of card that we've been so desperately waiting for for so long. Cool. Yep. So I think um, we've, we've covered a lot of uh, ground, lots of topics. Um, there's probably a lot more that we could talk about from you know all the sessions and things that we've gone, to, gone through, um, but I think that uh, just about sums up some of the highlights from uh, VMworld 2016 in Vegas. Um, I, I really appreciate you guys joining me, uh, Mike, Eduardo, uh, Steve, and Dwayne. Uh, this has been, you know, an excellent discussion um, and, a, and a good way to start uh, a morning after a late night out in Vegas. So, um, yeah, thanks, thanks for joining. Um, any closing thoughts? In my case, I will, I will just say, you know, this was this was a good conference. Um, I like to see that you know again EUC being in the center of, of a lot of conversations. I would have lo loved to see a little bit more about you know the the UEM meaning the end user um, environment management. I think there was a lack of content on that part um, because it's it's a, it's a space that you know for us log on times and all that type of stuff is important and also a little bit more on app uh, app volumes. Not only what Sean did uh, on his session, but I could not find a, a session based on app volumes. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Cool. Dwayne, Steve, hopefully we got you guys caught up. Um, so if you uh, want to check out any of the, the recorded keynotes, the one to check out would be uh, the day two keynote for the end-user computing stuff. So. Yeah, so just my closing thought is, first of all, thanks for the update, guys. I couldn't be there, so it's good to hear it directly from you. And it sounds like VMware's doing a great job of driving things forward. They're leading in some areas you mentioned, and I think this is an exciting time. And 
competition's good for the customer, you know, so you've got strong players and lots of cool technology, so thumbs up. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. So thanks, everybody. Um, this is uh, episode number 10 from, uh, from Vegas for VMworld 2016. Uh, looking forward to having you join either live uh, on the next tweet chat or um, listen to, to the podcast in your car. So thanks so much. Uh, have a great day. Okay.